You have all the power, Josh. I know. And everyone loves you. I know. You're like this big, you know, sort of teddy bear, and I'm the ogre. Absolutely. I'm the bad guy. You are. I'm always the bad guy. Yeah. Are we going to get started? I'm just waiting on you, Grandpa. Mr. Roly-Poly. Welcome to the Metacast. I'm Josh Anderson. And I'm Ogre Bob Galen. Yes, the bad guy has arrived. The bad guy is here. Yeah. It's nice to have you here, Bob. Bad guy, Bob. Josh Josh and I were talking about it before the Metacast. You know, he comes off as the... So I'm wordy, he's not. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Comes off as? Are you saying I'm not actually? No, you're not actually. And you know you're not actually. Oh, come on. You are not a roly-poly, sort of happy-go-lucky, teddy bear kind of guy. Yeah. You never are controversial. Never. You, you never have a... No, just a happy guy. A happy guy. All gets right. along with everybody. Yes. Okay. So there's... Has the same thoughts as the as, rest of the universe. As like Mahatma Gandhi. <laughs> <laughs> I've never caused a lick of trouble. In your entire life. Been a thorn in anyone's side. No, no, no. Just played football for the Cincinnati Bearcats and whipped the crap out of everyone on the other side of the line. But, yep. but then you lifted them up. I did. Yes, and, and dusted off their little tushy and, yes. and, and threw them. If they were coherent, you yeah. guided them back to the other huddle. <laughs> yes. Good luck, buddy. Next Good time. Next time I'll, say, I'll, I'll wipe the earth with your face again. <laughs> yeah. In a happy way. But, yeah, but you are the ogre, right? I mean, we're all clear on that. Yeah, I'm, I'm the, you are Shrek. I'm, I'm, you are the agile you're Shrek. You're the only one. Everyone else looks at me like as a grandfather, sort of Yoda figure. And you be, and you make me into an ogre. I don't. Know I why. can't believe that. That's true. That is ridiculous. That's I am Yoda. They've never seen Shrek. They've never seen Shrek. Like I've, Shrek Bob. Shrek. I don't think so. Well, enough of this. Enough of this mamby pamby crap. So anybody that's interested, contact me directly. Do you have pictures? I'll be happy to share. Oh, oh, some recordings. Some moments. E- evidence. Evidence. You have evidence of of Shrek Bob. Of Shrek Bob. Yeah. Okay, all right. I we'll, we'll have to. All right. That's, I like how uncomfortable you are. Right I'm now. uncomfortable. This is, this is the, well, I'm thinking of my own inventory of stuff that I might have on you. Like, do I have any dirt on Josh? I don't know. I'm sure you do. Oh, oh and, no, of course not. And because you're so squeaky clean. Most importantly, as you ask my team here, all you have to do is ask my wife on Twitter, and she'll be happy to sell me out. That's true. <laughs> That's probably true. My wife would do the same thing in a minute. <laughs> Yeah, and she loves you anyway. She's she's Rightfully a, so. she's in that camp that thinks yeah. you're like sort of this snuggly little bear. That's true. Uh, all right, let's get going. Let's go. right. What are we going to talk about? Agile. Agile. Yep. So we had this discussion, Metacasters, Josh and I, and we're not sure if it's going to be a good Metacast or not. We're going to try. you got to sell it as this is going to be the greatest Metacast ever. Well, we don't know. Oh. I, I don't know. Okay. But it's like, right. how do you... So ex- you're saying we should be transparent? Yeah, I am. Be- I'm tr- I was trying to be transparent oh, just okay. then. It was intentional, too, <laughs> as much as, as hard as you make that. But Metacasters, so we were talking about uh, the, the theme for today is how do you explain Agile to other people? Uh, this could be uh, when Josh and I were exchanging emails. This could be 
uh, folks, you know, friends of yours. It could be non-technical people. It could be half-technical people. I think of my grandma. Your grandma, right? But but I'm also thinking of you know peers that you have that are half technical, mm-hmm. but they don't they've they built software the old fashioned way and they've not done agile. They have not a clue about agile. They've never heard about it. And I encounter people like that quite a bit still today. Right. So how would we explain aspects of agile, uh, and and how do we you know? So why don't we start in the general case and then sort of move down? So yeah, the one thing that I keep finding both myself and members of my team talking about when not saying agile but when talking about this is how we succeed it gets back to making the feedback loops as short and as fast as possible so if you listen to folks on my team talk when we're doing a sprint review and we're covering this is why we do things this is how we do it it gets back to feedback loops but short and fast and often but i get that so but i'm not a let's say i'm a painter and and i run into you i'm painting your house and uh, and I'm trying to role play here in the right. spirit of the theme of the Metacast, and I'm painting your living room or whatever, and we we end up hitting it off. Right. And I'm from Cincinnati. I happen to have moved down. My here. dad paints houses. Does okay. Yeah. So and you probably have some experience, and and we just you know we're sitting there over lunch and you talk about what you do, and I'm honestly interested. Mm-hmm. And it's like you mentioned this agile stuff. So give me so feedback loops come up. Right. So in but how that would, instance, but how would you explain it? I would say to my dad of you don't paint the whole house like right up close paint it and never take a step back and look how things are going you paint pieces get down off your ladder take a look make sure everything's looking good or if you're doing a painting right like you don't you don't paint the painting all at once without taking a step back to look at it and say okay what's right what's wrong what do i need to tweak just like that if you were to try to just never lift your pen off of the paper and draw think how difficult it would be to get a well-crafted well-drawn piece of art as opposed to stopping reflecting what do i need to do next maybe i need to adjust the style here or whatever so thinking of it like that that's how i would approach that so i remember when my wife and i paint we get a we get a pint and we paint a swatch Mm -hmm. and it's a pretty good swatch on the wall and we're trying to get a sense for do we like that color or not right and and we're trying to get it in the with the carpet with the furniture on the wall in our light versus the the light at the right. store etc right. and i usually paint a pretty good piece of the wall mm-hmm. uh linearly sort of to get a sense for what it is and then we take a st- so we haven't even painted yet but we're getting it so that would be what a sample one that would be feedback loop one mm-hmm. then if we start painting we might take a step back after we get one wall done or something right. like that with one coat and say, how was the coverage? Mm-hmm. I'm guessing. Is that what you're thinking yeah. of from a painting? Yeah. And so it's not just feedback loops. It's feedback loops to action, I think. And mm-hmm. you said that. I just want to sort of reiterate it. Yeah, I don't think I said it as clearly as that. But, yeah, so it's having that feedback loop, how it forces you to make the macro or micro adjustments on the next pass, on the next thing you like do. Like, are we on track? If right. you're a painter... It's like, am I on track? I mean, I want to get this room done. Do I need another coat? Do I stick with this roller? Do I get a different roller? Right. Is it covering like I want? Is it? I like this whatever. analogy, actually. Do you ever notice, like, in corners, sometimes, for me, like, brushing corners is different. I've painted a little bit. And it's hard, to, when you're rolling a wall, mm-hmm. it's hard to get the same texture when you're brushing the, the trim. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and so sometimes I'll, like, I'll have to actually, I might get away with one coat with the roller, but I need two coats 
in the trim work or something because the brush has different dynamics than the rollers with right. the paint. And so you would see, you instead of, you know, you would see that, and then you would start planning that in, oh, okay, I need two coats. It's not just for this room. I'm starting to get feedback for the future. Right. It's like, crap, in this room, I need to, or I need two coats, or I need to prime it. I didn't prime this wall. Mm-hmm. So I have, now I know I have to go back and prime it if the color's not sticking. I remember once we had a, an accent wall. It was like a really, like a chocolate brown. Fancy. It, it was nice, but then we wanted to change it to beige or something, mm-hmm. and we just started, like, slapping beige paint on this thing. <laughs> and it just didn't cover it all? And it just didn't cover it yeah. at all. It, just, it probably took us, like, three or four coats to, to actually get it covered. And even then, you could sort of see, if you looked close, you could mm-hmm. see little streaks. Right. And if we would have primed it, so that would, again, be a case like that. So feedback loops, I, I, that could resonate with a painter. Uh, what else? I, I would say... One thing for me is I always try to emphasize the team. So I try to come back to not so much sports. We've talked a lot about sports, but, you know, to me, one of the essence points of Agile is is really putting putting your money on the team, putting your money on teamwork mm-hmm. and trusting the team. So trust and teamwork. And I would talk to people, and that usually resonates with folks. Uh, you know, when I worked on an assembly line, uh, around Christmas time, I mean, we would all. There was very different people. There were bikers, there were murderers, there were people who shouldn't have been there. Uh, we had a very. And then there was Bob. And then there was me, and Q-tip I was. Q-tip Bob was it? Q-tip Bob. It was moderate tip. I had trimmed it a little Ooh, bit. Okay. But I still had a pick in that bad okay. boy, right? I still had I still had a pick there. <laughs> so and and there was still enough tension to hold the pick no matter what nice. was happening. Yeah. Okay. Um, but uh, we would get along at Christmas time because our bonus, we would get more money the more throughput we had. Mm-hmm. And no matter what, ultimately, the efficiency forced us or encouraged us to work together. So the team, even when it wasn't a team. So it was truly you won together, you lost together. Yeah. Like your paycheck won or lost based on how you guys did together. I, absolutely. I mean, I did a, I, I think I might have blogged about that once or wrote about that in a book, but that was, pre- I wasn't even doing software then. This was right after I got out of the army. Mm-hmm. But literally, there were lean tendencies to that. Like the weakest link in the chain slowed the chain down. Right. So we were building boilers. We were literally, we weren't, you know, and I wanted to go to Purdue afterwards. But we were, uh, <laughs> We were building boilers. It was Burnham Boiler in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and I was third down the line, and it was a line of about seven people building boilers. And I remember the guy, the first position guy, was, I think he was on crack or something, but he, he or on speed. So he was fast. Right. And he was relentless. And I think he even, like, peed in a bottle. He didn't even go to the bathroom. Like, it was like, it was like he would pee in a bottle because you couldn't waste. I mean, he was really into it. Right. But then he would get frustrated because... Because down the line it was slow. And it was slow, and, and it was slowing him down. And it didn't matter that he was going fast. It did not matter that he was going fast. At, at some fundamental level, it, it didn't. And, and, I mean, he literally would be stacking up these things. And at some point, they stacked so high... That, that he had to stop. So then he would actually, he would be the person who would replenish the other stations. Mm-hmm. So he would begrudgingly then go down the line 
and we need we had to replenish ourselves. I hope I'm making sense, like screws mm-hmm. and materials right, and stuff. Right. So we were self sort of self replenishing. There were people that would bring skids of stuff over, but we had to self replenish. And he he started getting it, but because he would start going down the line and begrudgingly, and he he'd piss and moan, but he'd help you, he'd help you to help himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, now as it got closer to Christmas. We would we would get more lean. It was the weirdest thing, right? Because we needed, right? We wanted to maximize the line. So instead of fighting amongst ourselves, uh, around holidays, when everyone needed the maximum amount of money for their families, uh, we were very well behaved, hmm. and we sort of we were incented. I mean, we were incented the same way. It wasn't like we were ill behaved. Was that incentive there the whole year, or was it was it there the whole year? It was just it was just extra. It was just the external pressures. The external pressures made us behave mm. behave better, right? Again, it's it's really hard to look outside. I mean, on that assembly line, we right. it was the team, right? We we had to in order to be, and it was directly related to our funding. I mean, this was not bonuses. This was a our hourly pay. Let me be clear. Our hourly pay was related to our throughput, mm-hmm. and then bonuses were related to if we exceeded certain thresholds, we could get bonuses. Right. But in order for us to exceed thresholds, we had to really work together as a team. All right. I don't know if that helped. It, this, no, it does. It's I, a good it, example of a of a self directed team finding ways to operate more effectively. And they're really not a team. I mean, they they are and they aren't, right? You don't, sometimes people think you have you need all of this camaraderie, right. yeah. and the camaraderie in donuts. You know, I'm going to bring in food. I mean, in your teams here, you have heavy camaraderie and heavy mm-hmm. collaboration. That's nice, but you don't always. I'm sure in in football, there's there were cases where. It wasn't all, you know, kumbaya. Yeah, no, you didn't love everybody, but everybody was in it together. They and, were in it together. Right, and, and I didn't have to like you, but it, what I had to do was know that you would do your job. Exactly. And if I was comfortable with you doing your job, that's all that really mattered on Saturdays. Exactly. Right? It, it just didn't matter. I just, it was when you didn't do your job, just like in the case that you shared, where people got fed up and pissed off and... Yep. Every bad bad things happen, and it but, affects the bottom line. So that's right. that's another story that we could tell. You know, sort of around agile. What else you got? You got one. So I think the thing going back to the painter is inclusion of the customer sooner, ah, as opposed to hey, we're done. Take a look at it and tell us what you think. But that painter, whoever their customer is, would say, hey, here's how it's going. Here's what it's looking like. Here's we think we're going to be done about this time, or yep. we're seeing this issue here. What do you think? Do you want to adjust? What are the options? Here are some options. Here's things we can do, as opposed to I go, I paint the whole house, and I bring you, my customer, in. At the very end. At the very end, and it's too late. Oh, if yeah. you want to do that, it's going to cost a lot yeah. of money. Yeah. So, uh, to me, going back to the painter, it's inclusion of your customer early and often. Well, in construction, I use, this, I use that example. You've heard me use that, a construction example of you're building a house. In, in like slices, so feedback loops, doing chunks, doing complete chunks. Mm-hmm. So not not doing some sheetrock while you're still doing framing, while you're still doing concrete, mm-hmm. but do all try to do as much of the concrete as you can, and then test it mm-hmm. and inspect it. Try to do it, get the walls up of a house. Uh, what's funny is I taught, I think I taught a class here and at other places recently, and I bring up that example, and sometimes people resonate with it. And sometimes people don't, and I don't understand. Uh, I'm, I'm probably not going to explain this well, but they, they were like, well, yeah, I'll wait to the end. I don't, 
you know, it's it. They, they don't see the value. They're sort of being stubborn. They don't see the value right. of of the inspection points. And I'm like, you okay? You would really give me 500. I've never built a house before. I mean, I I, I have material that says I can do it, but you know, there's a little bit of risk. So you would give me 500. You would engage a 500 thousand dollar or 700 thousand dollar mortgage, and you would give me that money. And you would not come by till the very end. If I said it was six months, you would literally stay away. And 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 then they start like, you know, having palpitations or right. something. And it's like, no, I would want to do that. Where I'm, I'm like, that's the same thing. It's it's the it's feedback. It's confidence. Mm-hmm. It's uh, adjustment. Uh, it's all of those. It's risk, right? It's it's a risk management. What if what if the folks can't even do it? Right. Or, or they can do it, but they do it in, in a way that it's not meeting your expectations and all of those things. But I, I, I get a lot of folks, uh, they, there's, a, there's still comfort out there or there's still a belief that going away for long periods of time is still the right thing to do. And I just I don't understand where that comes from. Uh, and I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to run an experiment on those people, like in their home life. And that's weird because because we talk about trust being a core foundation of agile, yet the things that you mentioned don't line up with that. Of hey, it's, it's like trust but verify. So it's it's within the team there needs to be trust, but the customer should be. And we actually, it, the one thing you said in there was 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 confidence, right? And that's what we see a lot of happening of when when we bring customers in our stakeholders in and they see continually stamping out really good great product confidence comes in and they're like okay let's do more have more teams have more teams um so that's so it's interesting that the customer and producer the thing you're pushing for is kind of lack of trust right i don't think it's a i don't know if it's a lack of trust it's 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 and it's not trust but verify. It's just show me, in my examples and places. What you know? You ever look at blueprints? Mm-hmm. Or even if they're three dimensional nowadays, there's some nice software nowadays that will give you three dimensional layouts of houses. Did, have you ever gone into like a house under construction? You have, yeah. And you start and you see just two by fours, right? Can you envision the house from that? It's really hard sometimes. Right. Like bathrooms that don't have, they might have a little bit of plumbing, but it is incredibly hard to picture them. Sort of, I saw it on paper, but now I'm in it, and it's not big enough. Mm-hmm. Or you go into the the shower stall, and it's and it's all it is is framed out. There's no uh, there's no concrete board. There's no tile. There's nothing. Right. But it's but you can go into that little enclosure, right. like you could go into it and say, you know what? Or you could actually look at the two. That you, happened with our last house. You could look at that at the two by four, and it's like you know this is the space I like, but I'm a big guy. And the shower is going to be at my chest, right? The shower head, because right. look where the—that's as high as it will go. Yeah. It will. When, when's the, when do you want to make that adjustment? Right. If you make that adjustment at the end, it's going to be incredibly costly, and the cost is going to actually not be on the on the contractor, because you're you were supposed to sort of you're approving things. Mm-hmm. The cost is on you, I think, as a client. You have to pay for that. So it really goes back to. The value of constant communication with the customer. It's really that. And that's really what it is. That's okay. Based on what you've, based on seeing it unfold, I use these construction examples because they're, most people have built a house or most mm. people have done a, you know, a rehab project or something. 
uh, and they can they can connect software to that because software is much more amorphous sometimes. Mm -hmm. But I want I want folks to have that visualization. But even in that example, folks are like, or if I say, "Will you have to pay for it?" No, no, no. I signed the contract up front. Well, where's the where's the accountability? Who who pays for that? Is it the workers that pay for that? Right. In software, we actually try to make the team pay for that sometimes, right? It's mm -hmm. like work overtime. That's yeah. your bad. With a death march, yeah. With a death march or something like that, and that's not fair. So, so I think it's I think there's there's a little bit of trust, but. I think it's more confidence, it's more transparency, and it's more that iterativeness of let's work together, but seeing it. It's, you know, folks talk about uh, doing early prototyping, whacking together prototypes, and then pivoting. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that same thing, bringing that early prototyping and then pivoting. I think it's harder to do that in houses. I mean, the prototyping would be putting up the walls. Right. But if, you, but if you're only working on the bathroom, so if your choice is I'm going to sheetrock everything, like I'm going to sheetrock one sheet in each room. So if our crew is going to work, you know, one one piece of sheetrock per room and then another one and another one right. and another one. Or we're going to work on these two rooms and get them sheetrocked and get feedback. And then work on these two rooms and get them sheetrocked and get feedback. Right. I would I would prefer doing that approach because you're going to get sort of dimensional feedback from the client. And then if you do have to reposition two-by-fours, all you have to do is remove that sheetrock. I mean, not all. It may be load-bearing issues or something, but at least then you haven't, you know, you haven't finished it, et cetera. And it, you you have the chance of saying, you know what, customer, these other rooms over here are the same way, right? Right. So do you want to change? Right. We've only done these two rooms. Uh, do you want to change these? And these have the same dimensional characteristics or whatever. The closets are small. Mm -hmm. So all the closets are small. If you don't like these closets, are you going to not like these closets? Okay, now there's a trade-off. So boils down to feedback loops, short and fast. Well, we're trying to explain Agile right. to, to laymen. So right. feedback loops, customer engagement, uh, adjustments, early adjustment. Transparency. Transparency, uh, shared cost, shared yeah. value. So understanding of value, shared cost. No free rides, right? Um, what else? What else would I explain? In a quality, mm -hmm. I would talk about doing it right the first time. I think all those things we talked about, though, kind of lend to that. Because if it's not done right, you're going to get the feedback. If you're really transparent about it, you're going to get the feedback that, hey, we need to adjust. We need to make this better. If you include the customer early, you're going to get that same thing of quality matters. Yeah, it's kind of baked in, but... All of those gates along the way. Really well, but getting quality. the right people to do it. You know, I just flashed back two years ago. I had a my, uh, uh, a, uh, a Mustang two, this old Mustang two with one hundred and eighty thousand miles on it or something, and it blew a head gasket, and it was the middle of winter, and I was living in an apartment with just a parking lot, and so the Mustang two was in in, in the out in the parking lot. And it was ice on the ground. It sounds snow. so sad. Snow. It was. A, it was a sad event, and I couldn't. I didn't have the money to take it into someone. So my idea was, I can do this. So do you ever remember Chilton's book? There was these books called Chilton's Guides to Mechanics. So no, I I dropped. <laughs> you're a wise man, Kungadin. <laughs> so I dropped this. I bought a book that that had a really thick book that told me how to do it. And it was cold outside, and I started to take this thing apart. And, I mean, literally take the top off of my engine. Wow. And then go, and I bought a head, 
So you could actually buy a refurbished head. So I gave them my crappy head, mm-hmm. and I got a new head, and I and I I mean I followed the directions, etc. And what what was and I remember uh, it. I turned it on. So I proudly I mean I was freezing my butt off. And I proudly turned the key, and I had this expectation. What would your expect? I followed. Starts direct. right up. It's going to start right up, and it didn't start right up. In fact, I had, what did I? I, I had flipped the, the thermostat. If you ever remember, what the thermostat was tied to the uh, radiator, mm-hmm. which would make sure that the uh, the the water it would stabilize heat between the engine right. block and the radiator. I had turned it around. Uh, and when you turn them around, I discovered when you turn it around the wrong way, I discovered that it had to, it created a super a super heat, a, a super steam effect in the engine, where steam would build up and it would seep out of every crack and nook and cranny, every gasket of that the engine. That sounds bad. It wasn't good. It yeah. would it would bubble it would bubble out. It was, and it was there was this thumping sound as the steam was trying to get into the radiator. Where all of the all of the rubber pipes would like go, woof, woof, and so what? What? What's the point of my my silly story? Well, hold on, I just want to know the final state. Like, was the engine just totaled at that point, or was it recoverable? No, it actually recovered, and I ran that sucker for like eighty thousand more miles. Wow, uh, it never ran the same. Though. <laughs> it was never normal, but I ran it uh, for that. I mean, I finally got it back. Uh, I had just made I had made some fundamental mistakes with like the uh, spark plugs, the order of the spark plugs, the firing order. You have to be meticulous with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the positions of pistons and things like that are it, there's a lot of positional alignment in an engine, right. and you have to be really really sensitive to that. And you need some special equipment uh, to to get things lined up right. And I had been willy nilly with that. I mean, I tried, but I didn't have the equipment. It was cold out. I mean, a couple times during this exercise, my feet actually froze to the ground. So that's how, that's how cold it was. <laughs> I mean, I'm literally bent over. I mean, I was in one position for so long, you know, punched over. I mean, I, I didn't yeah. have a crane or anything. My, my point is, I, what is my point? My point is, should I have been, I wasn't doing a quality job. Uh, so I, I think getting the right people to do the right job. Uh, some, and, and I am. I've actually seen contractors that that don't. So I think we have to get the right people doing the right job, and we have to be have self awareness, mm-hmm. and and people have to ask for help, and and I think a lot of times we have quality results matter from a rework perspective. Uh, a real mechanic would have taken it took me probably four to five times longer. Weather aside, actually weather aside, it took me four to five times longer to do that job than a regular mechanic. Yeah. Uh, I had so much rework, it was impossible. The engine was all joke. The engine was never the same. Yeah, there's just so many discoveries as you go down that path the first time. Right. You, you don't know you're doing it wrong. And I'm, I'm agreeing with what you said about quality. There's all those other aspects. But, damn it, we have to have this mindset of doing it right the first time. Like, uh, like picking paint. Picking, don't go in with the, the cheapo paint. Right. Which says we have or don't to, skip the primer, or don't skip the primer, or don't. I mean, there's these steps that are really quality steps. By a good brush. By a good brush. If you've ever painted, yeah. a, a good brush actually matters. Like some folks buy those little sponge, the yeah. sponge brushes. It's like, why is it? Oh, this is really a crappy job. Well, because you bought eight thousand of those for a dollar at a right. dollar store, right? No wonder it sucks. So, so quality tools, quality experience. Uh, stepping back, knowing when to get someone who actually knows what they're doing to do it. Now, you could help them. 
and you can learn. So you could pair with them or mentor with them. Uh, but I think that's an additional part of the quality. I don't know if you agree or disagree, but trying to have that mindset of doing it right the first time. Yeah. What else? Anything else? Agile, we're explaining it. Um, One of the things I've talked about in the past is Agile serves as a spotlight. And all those things that we talked about is it it helps you see the things that are going wrong sooner. So it's the feedback loops, customer engagement, everything that goes along with it. But it, But I really think of it as this giant spotlight that is continually searching for whatever you're doing and... If you do it right, it will shine on the problems that you have and force you to take action on them, or else that light's going to stay right there, and it's going to keep being a problem. Uh, maybe just to wrap this, this Metacast up, I mean, has, has Agile changed the way you approach daily things, non-software things? It has for me. It uh, has, and I've had conversations with family members where they're trying to figure out, what do I want to do? Where do I want to go? What do I want to be when I grow up? And it's like, just try it, right? You're, you're, you're at a point in your life where you have the opportunity to try things. You don't have to um, get to analysis paralysis and try and get it right the first time. Try this. Tweak it. Learn it. Iterate So, so it. I've had those same discussions where people, it, it's not such a software. We want to plan everything in advance. Right. We want the perfect plan. Uh, and I'm a plan. I, I want to promote folks to plan. So do a modicum of planning and then try it, to your point. But to understand what is unrealistic to plan out. Like it's un, it's unrealistic for us to plan out when we go to the – so it, to me it goes back to we we want to drive to the West Coast. We know we need to go west. Do we need to plan out every exact turn and every bathroom break and food stop and everything that goes along with that? No. Do we likely need to know how far we're going to go and how when our gas is going to run out and all the indicators we have to make the choices we need as we go? Yes. We need we need to be on 40, right? We know that. So it's affecting how we react with our lives, I think. I know it's affected me. Mm-hmm. I'm incrementalism. I try to encourage. I experiment a lot more than I used to. Uh, so I don't try to be perfect. Right. Uh, I try things out. I try things in my writing. Uh, I try th- experiments in classes. Uh, I wing experiments in the yeah. middle of a class. I'll try something, and I'm not afraid. And it could blow up in my face, and that's okay. And it could work out really well. Uh, and it just depends on what's going on. So what I was trying to do is I think a lot of these mindsets, I'd like to encourage Metacasters we, we've talked 100 episodes, and it was always agile with respect. Most of them were agile with respect to software. Uh, I, I think this one is sort of agile with respect to your life. Make it a life pattern. And that doesn't mean you have to have a burn-down chart in your refrigerator or something like that mm-hmm. or swim lanes or a Kanban board. But it, in our mindsets, if we can, if we can try – when I coach my kids or my kids come to me with life problems – I don't put together – I talk about a backlog. I talk about can we break it down into small right. – you know, dad, I have this huge problem, <laughs> right? And I'm, it's like I've stopped. If you 10, 20 years ago, my brain would have been putting a plan together to attack mm-hmm. that, that huge problem. Now my brain can't even attack it that way. I have to think in terms of priority and breaking it down in decomposition and what would be a chunk, right? What would be a, you know, a chunk that would be useful for us? What would be the highest value chunk? And as a controversial point to end this on, that's why I struggle with four-year colleges and majors and investing that much when you're 18, 19 years old 
how do you really know who you want to be? And do I really know I want to be an architect? And I'm going to spend $100,000 educating myself to do that. Is that really the right approach for so many people? Probably not, right? It's, I mean, we've already we've sort of answered. I mean, yeah. it's the current approach. Uh, what would be good as a precursor to that is to try things out. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the neat things I did is I did that assembly line work pre-college, if you will. So after the Army and pre-college, I had some really interesting jobs. But some of them helped me figure out what I wanted to do. Right. Like I talked to you in the last Metacast about uh, going to computer science. Mm-hmm. But one of the – it wasn't just an – it wasn't a money decision. It was a, a self-realization of what – like what I didn't want to do. Do you know what I'm, I mean? There was I, I came out of like I don't want to build boilers right, for, the yeah, rest, exactly, exactly. for the rest of my life. And there was a, and that it wasn't just the boilers. I don't want to be on an assembly well, and, line. And that's so much of it of, of crossing options off the list. And exactly. Narrowing down on this is what reality. Just like with your planning in Agile, of you have an idea. It's about this big, but as you refine and iterate on it, you you get to the right answer through experimentation and learning. Uh, what, a way to, what a way to stick a fork in the sucker. Mm-hmm. So Metacasters from beautiful downtown Cary, North Carolina. So I'll, full disclosure, Josh and I have a conference call related to some podcasting. About a secret thing that may a be happening A secret thing that future. may be happening. So we have some work to do related to the Metacast, so we're going to cut it short. Uh, we hope you got some value out of this. I'd encourage everyone to start explaining Agile outward. I think it'll help our our internal mindset, and I think it, it helps us be better Agilists if we can do a better job of ex- explaining it. So become better explainers. Uh, and it, we want your feedback. Uh, give us guidance for next episodes. Uh, grade us. Uh, comment on us. Find us the way you found us. But from Man, you, you're good at this. I'm just trying to get it done. But from beautiful downtown Cary, North Carolina, I'm Bob Galen. And I'm Josh Anderson. Shake. And bake. Take care, y'all.